0: Um, I have a little video for you. Um, we, we launched uh, my book, Destined to Win. I actually have a couple of... These are called uh, publisher's copies. They're not, the right, uh, they're not the right cover. And a whole bunch of... The book is there. That's about it. <laughs> the actual manuscript is right. They sent me 25 of them. And we're doing a pre-launch of this book called Destined to Win. How to embrace your God-given identity and realize your kingdom purpose. And I actually wrote it out of um, many people asking me like, you know, how many times have you heard someone say, God has a plan for your life? (laughs) Have you ever wondered like, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) Like, all right, what is it? Uh, I don't know. So, I mean, I have been asked that question so many times, like God's got a plan for your life. Thank you. What do I do about it? And a lot of people, you know, have lots of prophetic words, and they're like, "Okay, well, I have all these prophetic words. What do I do about that?" And so, I thought I should write a book about how do you actually fulfill your destiny. First of all, how do you actually find it? Secondly, how do you actually fulfill your destiny? So, it's a very, it's very, it's a very. um, I was going to say profound. Yes, it's so profound. Practical was the word I was looking for though. It's a very practical book on um, discovering your identity, discovering your destiny, discovering your people. You know, I did this mess. I shared this message about a year ago. Until you find your people, you can't find your destiny. And then I probably had 200 people on social networking say, how do I find my people? I'm like, you know, do not ask those hard questions. So um, there's a whole chapter on how to find your people. How do you know that they're your people when you find them? How to get rid of people you shouldn't have. <laughs> I, think there's, I think the chapter's called Being Influenced by Idiots. I put it in my notes. I wasn't going to call it that, but then the, uh, the publisher said, Oh, I like that chapter. Just leave it that title. It's called, let's see, maybe they changed it. Oh, surrounded by idiots. (laughs) It's kind of catchy, you know. Um, So could you run the video, please? The world defines success as having a lot of money, a big house, a fine car. Everyone's comparing themselves to one another, trying to figure out if they're successful. Most people are just living a Photoshop life. And they're afraid that someone's going to discover the brokenness inside of them. But that's not how we measure success. True success actually begins from the inside out. The need to be loved and accepted are not choices. They're actually God-given needs for your soul. When you model your success or you model your life after someone else, you're just a cheap imitation of the real thing. But God actually wants us to be original. He actually wants us to be authentic. He actually wants us to be amazing from the inside out. True success is actually knowing who you are and whose you are. The reason I wrote this book is because I want everyone to learn the secrets of success in God and discover their purpose in life and to know that we were actually destined to win. All right. you, can, you can get on there and order um, the book now and if you do, you get free five chapters right now for free. The book's not out till January. And four Bethel songs. Yeah. We had to do something to prop up the book, in case it doesn't sell. So if you don't like the book, you'll love the songs. No, it's not missing. Oh, one of them is You're No Longer a Slave. That's the song, not the chapter. Um, who would like these? Awesome. Listen, I need 8,000 people to pre-order them. So I'll give it to someone who will buy 6,000. <laughs> no, okay. Sorry. Remember, that's not the cover. Don't tell people that's the cover. It's ugly. All right, we're going to pray. I guess you already have a date if you've come, right? I've got an eyelash in my eye. Okay, grab a hand. Okay squeeze the hand of the person next to you if you want to date them. Beth, you've heard of Bethel School of Supernatural Dating, haven't you? Come to school, find a spouse. That's our motto. Okay. Lord, we bless these people in Jesus name, and we pray that you would give them a spouse. And the ones that are already married, Lord, we pray they would have a Song of Solomon season. And the ones that don't want to be married, we just give them freedom to be single. Sort of. Amen. Amen. Oh, and bless the message. Shoosh. I want to talk about cultivating prophetic families. So I actually want to talk about your kids. If you don't have kids, then your grandkids or your, your pets. We got our dog saved. He's a saved dog. He isn't sanctified though, he still poops in the house. We're working on that process right now. He's, he's saved, but he's not transformed. But I've been preaching the gospel to him, and yeah, today he ate all the garbage. Three days ago, I dropped a bunch of nuts, you know, like washers of nuts. I dropped a box, a whole box like this of nuts, and they went everywhere. And so I was picking them up with a magnet, and he was behind me, like like, like looking over my shoulder. And I'm like, I'm trying to pick them up. I'm like, get out of here. And finally, he picks one up and swallows it. <laughs> and he got his iron for the whole month. <laughs> Seriously. I said, give me that. He went... Our dog thinks he's a goat. Okay, cultivating prophetic families. So on a serious note, I want to talk about actually cultivating the supernatural in your family and among your children. And this is mostly about children and young people. And uh, Seth is doing such a great job here, isn't he? And... Before that, we had um, so many great um, leaders before him that um, actually have passed baton. So I want to just begin by talking about the whole prophetic ministry. And do you remember Joseph, how in the Old Testament Joseph, not the New Testament Joseph, that, but the Old Testament Joseph? I was going to say something funny, but it was inappropriate. So uh, see, that's called wisdom. I'm growing. <laughs> Haven't even said crap for four sermons. You'll remember Joseph, he was the guy that had a dream and that you remember the first dream he had is, is that he, he dreamt of sheaves, 11 sheaves bowing down to him and then later he dreamt of the sun and moon. The next night he dreamt of the sun and moon bowing down to him, to him. and anyway, all of that got him in, in prison and then finally... Um, Through a series of events, it got him into the palace. And for those of you that may not know the story, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. And by the way, you know, um, when God tells you you're going to be amazing, worst thing to do is tell your brothers about it. (laughs) Humility is necessary, especially among your family. And so they sell him into slavery. um, And just to give the quick overview... And he ends up at Potiphar's house, who is Pharaoh's who is right-hand guy. Pharaoh's um, wife is really in, in love with him. It's taken by him. She wants to sleep with him. He refuses. She rips her clothes. And, she, and finally, after you know, months and months and months of trying to get him to sleep with her, she rips her clothes and says, Joseph raped me. And of course, her husband believes her, so she, her husband puts him in prison. And he's in prison, and by the way, when he was... I, I love the story of Joseph, because he has troubles. Do you like to read stories about people who have troubles? I don't know why, it just makes me feel good. <laughs> I don't know if it's a misery loves company, or if it's just the encouragement that other people who love God have problems also. And I, I love the commentary on it too, because it's so good. It's, it, it helps me to understand that God doesn't think like we do. Here's the commentary on Joseph in slavery. It says, and God was with him, and Joseph was a successful man. That's when Joseph was in slavery. So it is possible to be a successful person in God and not have your outside circumstances actually validate that. In that you have a big house and a big car. And you know, and it says that that when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, that everything in Potiphar's house prospered because Joseph was there. Now interesting. Joseph didn't prosper. <laughs> I'm saying, in this case, Joseph didn't prosper. I mean, it wasn't like he was, you know, later he did. But I'm saying, in Joseph's house, when God's commentary over him was, and Joseph was a successful man, isn't it interesting that Joseph wasn't like his sheep and goats? I mean, he didn't have anything. He didn't own anything. So, you know, in, in other words, when God says that Abraham was blessed... The next part of of the commentary on on Abraham is that everything that he had prospered. And he became wealthy, right? You know the story of Abraham, right? Isaac, the same. But Joseph is a slave. He literally owns nothing. And God says, and Joseph was a successful man. And Joseph's success was measured by the fact that that his master, everything that Joseph touched, prospered for his master. It's just really good to see that God measures success by your influence, not necessarily by the stuff you have. And then Joseph goes to prison. And again, for just a quick, just a quick overview, because we have a lot of new believers in our, in our presence that wouldn't know the story. Joseph goes to prison, and, um, and it says this, And the Lord was with Joseph. That's the next commentary on him. And the Lord was with Joseph and caused everything that Joseph did to prosper so it says, and then about three sentences later it says, and the Lord was, and, and, and the chief jailer trusted Joseph and he put the entire prison into Joseph's hands so that the chief jailer did nothing and Joseph actually ran the entire prison as a prisoner. Next verse says, and Joseph was a successful man. Now he's in prison. He still don't have nothing, right? He's not married. He has no family. He has no kids, he has no stuff, he has no house, and Joseph was a successful man. And then the king, this prison was actually where they sent political prisoners. Interesting that Joseph happens to end up there. And the king sends the baker and the cupbearer to prison, his two kind of, I won't say his two right-hand men, but two of his staff. And, um, and the baker and the cupbearer both have a dream. They have two different dreams. The baker has a dream and Joseph interprets a dream and the the interpretation isn't too good. He says, you know, that he's going to be hung on the gallows. (laughs) The cupbearer has a dream and and Joseph interprets a dream and says, I forget, it was like, in three days, something like this, I'm sorry, I should have read it right before I got up here, but in three days, yes, when you preach, you should read the Bible. (laughs) It's a struggle I have. I was watching the 49ers get killed again when I should have been reviewing the Joseph story. But the point of the story, sorry. (laughs) I hate the 49ers. Hope Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You're not supposed to hate people. I don't hate people, I just hate the 49ers. Just, I love the people, just, they crush my hope. Makes me want to cry, but I won't. But anyway. So, Joseph tells the cupbearer that he's going to be restored to the king's service in like three days, or whatever it was, and he ends up back in the king's house. And he says this to the cupbearer, Joseph says to the cupbearer, Hey, when the king restores you, (laughs) let him know I'm here. And so, he, just like Joseph said, in the amount of days he said it would happen, he gets restored to his former place as cupbearer to the king. And the Bible says he totally forgets about Joseph. So Joseph's in there for months and months and months. And finally, the king has a dream. And the king says to the cupbearer, I have this dream. I don't know what it means. I know it's profound. I had this dream of fat calves and skinny calves. And when he tells the cupbearer he had a king, I mean he had a dream, quiet. When he tells... If you guys could laugh at the appropriate time, instead of the fact that I can't speak English. You know, when I was born, I had to be taught English. I spoke in tongues. I just want you to know, this is the way prophets grow up. So when he tells, the, when the king tells him that he had a dream, the cupbearer, it jogs the cupbearer's memory, and he's like, oh, oh, hey, I know a guy that interprets dreams. And he tells the king about the cupbearer, I'm sorry, the baker and his dream. And Joseph was, you know, you know, told him what the dream meant and he was totally accurate. And so the king calls Joseph in and says, I had this dream. I had a dream of seven fat calves and seven skinny calves and the seven fat calves ate the seven skinny calves. I have no idea what it means, but I know it's profound. Isn't it interesting that a guy that doesn't know God has a dream? I would suggest he's probably had many dreams. That's sub- that's subjective, because the Bible doesn't say that. But I would, su- I would suggest that the king is a dreamer. But he has a particular dream in which he knows that this dream has something to do with his nation's destiny, but he has no idea what it means. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar has the same exact experience, where he has a dream, and he's so convinced that to dream his profound has profound significance on his kingdom that he's willing to kill all the wise men of Babylon just to get somebody to interpret his dream. Isn't it crazy that the Lord... It's the glory of God to hide a matter. Listen to this. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Isn't it interesting that the Lord gives kings dreams, but he doesn't give them interpretations? So Joseph says, Oh, I know what your dream means. There's going to be seven great years extra prosperous years, that's the fat calves, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And the king is so touched, impressed, by Joseph's interpretation, that he actually makes Joseph the head of the country. And in the 47th chapter of Genesis, I'm sorry, the 45th chapter of Genesis, Joseph's brothers, as you know, come in to Egypt because they're out of food in Israel. Joseph reveals to his brothers, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Please come into Egypt and there's still five more years of famine. And, and God has set me here to save you. And then he says this, and I love this, this, this verse, he said, for I have become a father to Pharaoh. How many you know? Beautiful passage on how do you make disciples of nations. <laughs> okay, here's the whole point of telling you that story. How did Joseph learn how to interpret dreams? And I'll tell you how. He was raised in a family of dreamers. His great-grandfather Abraham had visions and dreams. Genesis 15.1, talking about Abraham. And, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abraham. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be great. Isaac, his grandfather... Abraham, his great-grandfather. Isaac, his grandfather, was also a dreamer. It says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, God spoke further to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. In other words, he actually appeared to Isaac. He actually had visions, spiritual experiences. And then Jacob, his father, Jacob, as you know, was a dreamer and also saw visions and had spiritual encounters and also had angel encounters. Do you notice, if you, if you, if you follow the lineage of Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, what you see is a growing spiritual significance happening. Jacob probably had 10 times more dreams, at least that are recorded, than Abraham or his father Isaac. And Jacob was a dreamer, and you'll, you'll remember In Genesis chapter 35, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel, and live there. And make an altar there, and sell all you have, and give it to Chris Vallotton Ministries. It says, And make an altar there, um, who appeared to you when you fled from your... I'm sorry, let me see, that didn't make sense. God said to Jacob, Arise and go, to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother uh, Esau. And so God appeared to Jacob, in Genesis 28:10. then Jacob departed from Bathsheba, and went to Haram, and he came to a certain place, and spent the night there, because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place, and put it under his head, and he laid down on that place, and he had a dream, and behold, the ladder was set up on the earth, and his top reaching the heavens. And behold, the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. In the land which you, which you lie, I give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And you and your descendants shall be the families of the earth. Uh, and, and in you, all your descendants, the families of the earth, will be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, and I will, I will not leave you until I have done all I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. But I didn't know it. All I'm getting at is this. Our children need to be raised not in church. They don't need to come two hours on a Sunday Sunday morning and go to Seth's children's church class and hear about prophecy. They need to live in a culture in which they are marinated in the presence and the power of God so that when they are confronted with the ferals of the world, they don't have to go to class to figure out what the dream is because their great-grandfather was a dreamer. Their father was a dreamer. (laughs) Are you with me? Their grandfather was a dreamer and now they're a dreamer and they are prepared not because they took a class but because they grew up in a spiritual family who actually believes in the impossible, lives in the invisible, and practices the power of God. This is what our children need. They don't... You you know, people are saying, uh, you know, the commentary on this generation that's coming up is that we are losing this generation to the world. That they are no longer interested in church. And I would propose to you that they're sick of religion, but they're literally starving for a real spiritual experience. And if our kids don't have a real spiritual experience, they are not going to submit to sitting for two hours in a church building where people sing a song and teach out the Bible and they go home and nothing changes. You know why? Because they have tasted the real thing. I'm not saying they've tasted the real thing. I'm not saying they've tasted the kingdom, but they've tasted the real spirit world. Yeah. And they know that what's happening... Well, I going not say it. Yeah. I think the rest is obvious. You go someplace that spirituality is reading the Bible, singing some songs, praying a prayer, and everybody goes home and nothing changes. You know, I don't have to tell you, like, people are tired of that. And then give me your money and let me control your life. It's like, I'll have to just say that I'm glad they're tired of it. Because God's tired of it. And so we have a generation that's hungry for the real thing. Raising your children. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2 is an interesting verse. It's a story of Samuel. He's still a boy in this, in this chapter. And it said, It happened that while Eli was lying down in the place, now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark was, that the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He said, I did not call you, lie, lie down again. So he went and lay, laid down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went into Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But he answered and said, I did not call you. My son, go lay down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. This is very interesting. He's having experiences with God. He's having prophetic experiences in which the Lord is speaking to him. But here's the commentary on Samuel. He did not yet know the Lord. What I'm getting at is this, before our kids know the Lord, they can know the spirit world. Samuel grew up, you remember that Hannah wanted a son and and she couldn't have children. And God said, well, you want a son and I want a prophet. I'll make you a deal. (laughs) I'll give you a son, you give me a prophet. And Hannah said, that's great. I promise that if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to the work of the Lord. And, I, and actually, when he was weaned, she brought him to the temple and literally left him there all year. And she would come and visit him once a year, and he actually grew up, and Eli, the prophet of the land, raised him. Listen, here's the point. What would happen if your kids grew up in a house of prophets? What would happen if your children grew up and the supernatural was natural in your house? I'm like this is where we're heading. I want to talk. I want to say five things to teach your, your um, five things to do to teach your children how to be spiritual. Number one, value their dreams. Kids dream all the time. They don't talk about them because you don't talk about them. So pray for your children to have dreams, and then in the morning ask them if they dreamt and ask them what they mean, what, what they thought the dream meant. In other words, what you're doing is you're cultivating God speaking to you from the time that they can speak, from the time that they can actually talk. Your children, when your children begin to talk, tell them, I'm praying that God will give you a dream tonight. When they have a dream, say, did you have a dream? Yes, I had this dream about frogs and about crocodiles. And then your job is to let them know that that might have meaning. And you begin to instill in them that the language, that God actually speaks to this language, and you give them a value for it, and by the time they're seven, eight, nine, ten years old, they're actually being directed by dreams. If they, well, we'll talk about that. If they have bad dreams, we'll talk about that in a minute. Number two, expect, expect them to hear from God. Expect them to hear from God. So, little exercises, simple exercises like, if Jesus walked in the room right now, what would he say? You don't have to say, okay, we're going to prophesy now. You don't, you don't have to do any of that. Just like... If Jesus walked in the room right now, what would he say to Johnny? Mary, what would he say to your brother? I don't know. Okay, well, close your eyes. What's he saying? What do you see Jesus saying to Johnny? And what you're doing is you're preparing them. You're giving them. Remember, everything in the spirit realm is initiated through faith. So what are you doing? You're giving them simple anticipation that something is supposed to happen. What is anticipation? It's faith. You're teaching them that they are a conduit to talk to their brother. Are you with me? I know this is really simple, but. Number three, include them in ministry. Teach them how to pray for the sick and prophesy in your home. So when you're praying, don't like, you know, this has been repeated so many times. I think Bill's the originator of this. Your children do not have a miniature Holy Spirit, they don't have a junior Holy Spirit. So they do, obviously, have a junior mind. They do have a junior soul. We know all that. So they're going to they're articulate what the Lord is saying through their language. Uh, let me give you an example. We just read the story of Jacob had laid his head on a rock, and he saw a ladder. And angels were ascending and descending. The ladder went all the way to heaven. Now, how many of you actually think there's a ladder that goes all the way to heaven, and angels actually climb a ladder to get to heaven and go to earth. How many you believe that? Yeah. My point, some of you are like, I do. I'm going to believe exactly what the Bible says. Alright, we don't want to ruin your theology at all there, buddy. I'd suggest to you that the Lord is speaking to, to uh, Jacob in the language he could understand. How many know that if God spoke to you in his language... How I many you know God's not human? His first language isn't English, Spanish, French, or anything else. If God actually spoke to you, if God didn't dumb down his brain, <laughs> you wouldn't have no understanding of what God's saying. Do you know the God you serve, He lives in you, and you and you and you and you and you one God, one spirit, actually lives in however many believers there are on the earth, let's say three billion believers. And God can simultaneously hear 7.4 people who are alive on the earth. He can hear all their prayers simultaneously, knows how many hairs are on their head, and he knows everything about their genetics, everything about their, their, their given record, and, and he can actually have, he can actually hold 7.4 billion conversations with 7.4 billion people simultaneously, answer their prayer while he's answering your prayer. He can be present with you while he's present with them. Tell me that God isn't brilliant. Some of the, I don't know if you've heard Sean Boltz prophesy, actually more, more words of knowledge. I like the prophecies too, but... I mean, the stuff he does is impressive because it reminds me of the bigness of God. So he'll call someone out, you know, by the whatever, their, their date, their social security number. Does this number mean anything? That's my birthday. Does this number mean Yeah, that's my address. Okay, that's cool. Did you have a dog named Fluffy? Yes. Fluffy went to heaven seven years ago. Yes, I'm like, I don't even know if dogs go to heaven, but okay, I still like it. You got Fluffy, so we're all right, you know? And he starts talking to them about things that nobody would know. It's just like things that only you would care about if you liked Fluffy, right? I've watched it over and over. And did Fluffy get hit by a car? Yes, broke his left leg. Yeah. How do you remember all that? I mean, if you were a god, how do you even remember that? Much less care about it. And I'm like, this is the God we serve. So we like we like we like to like we like to relate to Jesus because like he's in a human body. <laughs> it can kind of like interact with him. But you know, when Jesus went to heaven, you know, he went back to his glorified body, which I'm not sure what that is, but I just know that if God showed you who he is, you'd probably die on the spot. In fact, Moses, God said to Moses, if I, if I showed you my presence, you would die. I'm like, all right, just show me your backside. <laughs> and the Bible says that literally, that God his, put his, face over his hand over his face, passed him by and said, okay, you can look at my backside because no one can see God and live. This is the God you serve. So when God says, I set up a ladder... For the angels to ascend and descend, you're like, oh yeah, that was a ladder. He uses ladders still. No, he's relating to you. God knows how to, you know, to tie both his brain, hand, brains behind his back, and talk to you in a language you'll get. So, when your children have dreams and visions, the dreams and visions are powerful. The way God relates to your children is going to be, I don't want to say dumbed down, but it's going to be on their level. So when they go, Mommy, I saw an angel climb a ladder. You're like, oh, so cute. No, no, no. Actually, angels are coming. (laughs) Your child sees them on a ladder, but they're still coming. (laughs) Oh, you didn't get that. No, no, that's all right. Too late. Passed you by. Number four, expose your children to miracles. Share supernatural stories with them. That's an obvious. Number five, invite angels into their life. Uh, Jesus specifically said that every child has an angel. So, live a life where they should anticipate angel help. If they're scared... What do angels do? Well, just go. You just read through the Bible. Just put the word "angel" in your Bible program, and everywhere you see an angel, just see what they did. They protected people. They encouraged people. They fed people, right? I mean, right? They actually fed people. They encouraged Jesus in the wilderness. They um, they protected uh, Elijah. They fed Elijah when he was depressed. They encouraged him. I'm just I'm just saying, like these are things that our children can anticipate. Right from the Bible, right? Not somebody's weird story, and I'm not saying those weird stories aren't true, I'm saying you can just take angel stories from the Bible and say, the angels protect us, the angels serve us. And they say, I'm I'm afraid to sleep. Okay, let's call the angels in here to protect you. That's what angels are for, Psalms 91, and we just begin to, so what I'm getting at is it's not so we can make them comfortable, it's so we can teach them how to live in the king's kingdom. So when they get older, it's like, oh, all the cute little fantasies. Angels are not fantasies. They're the real things. Ask Balaam. Okay. Um, don't use prophecy to discipline your children. <laughs> we um, used to have an open mic in Weaverville. Obviously, a much smaller church. Everybody knew everybody. Obviously, we had a, if we had an open mic here, I'm sure security would be carrying people out. Probably Eric. <laughs> but um, we had an open mic, and um, during worship, you could come, um, and we had a gatekeeper, and you can come up to the gatekeeper and say, I have this prophetic word, and if the gatekeeper thought it was appropriate, then you could come to the mic during the worship at the proper time and share your word. It was, it was very cool. It was very family. It was a different, a different season and the same group of people, so it was, it was quite good. But... Um, we had one guy, a really good guy. We really love him. We still, we're still, still in relationship with him. He was a really great prophet, but he really struggled being a father. And he had four kids and um, loved his kids, really loved his kids, but he grew up in a house where literally his father tried to kill him. And so um, just got, he was just on drugs and got delivered from drugs and heroin and all kinds of crazy stuff. A really great story. But when his kids became teenagers he didn't actually have the tools to raise them. And so, being a great prophet, but not too good of a father, and again, not because he didn't love his kids, he decided to use his prophetic gift to father his kids. So sometimes on Sunday morning, he would kind of not tell the whole truth to the gatekeeper, and then he would prophesy to his four teenage children. And the Lord says to you, Joe, and I'm using different names, and he would tell them, what he was trying to tell them during the week with prophecy. You can imagine how the kids felt when their dad manipulated them with the word of the Lord. And so what I'm getting at is don't use, don't use, any, don't use God to get your kids to do stuff. God's going to punish you if you don't eat all your food, you dummy. <laughs> no, yeah, don't turn God into... Don't turn God into the bad guy. Is this too simple? I'm sorry. I'm bored. Um, The next one is, teach your kids how to process disappointment. You know why lots of people fall away from the Lord? Because they don't get their expectations met. And it might be something serious, like they pray for their friend and their friend dies. They they see something opposite of a miracle. Um, They pray for something in their life. They have some tragedy and they... And so, you know, it's really important for our kids. I, I Having been a parent of four kids, I, I know that my fatherly instinct, come on, dads, is to protect my kids from all evil. Right? I Like, if, if, I, if it was okay, I would just put them in a little bubble, I would wrap them up in some kind of a bubble before I sent them to the Christian school. Right? And then I would interrogate them to see if the Christian school was in any way polluting my children. I mean, that's what I... Like, that's the protection thing. It, it, probably in a mom too, right? But I'm always speaking t- to dads in this because I'm a dad. So I'm like, I know, like, if the teacher... If, the, you know, if my son comes home and says, my teacher's a jerk, I'm like, I'm going to kill the teacher. <laughs> my kid's always right, of course. He would never do anything wrong. I, I mean, you know, it was my sperm and her egg. I mean, I know my sperm was fine, so... <laughs> course, every time something went wrong, Kathy would say, and your son, (laughs) how come he's my son? My point is, is that life is full of disappointments. We know that, right? If you've lived more than 20 years, you know, like, life doesn't always go the way you want it to go, right? And God is not your genie. He's also not your slave. And he thinks from eternity, and he thinks Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God is always thinking tri-dimensionally. So when God touches you, or when God does something for you, he isn't just doing it for you, but he's doing it for your children, and at least for your children's children. In other words, God's not playing single-dimensional chess. God's playing ten-dimensional chess, and he's doing something in your life that has something to do with the people that are yet to be born, and the people who were born before you, and the people who have yet gone on before you. That's why you have a great cloud of witnesses because God hasn't fulfilled their promises yet and he's fulfilling their promises in you. So it's not all about you. So sometimes you're like, I know what's right for my life. I need to get that job. And God goes, no, no. Actually, you don't need to get that job. You actually need to get terminated from this job so that you'll be unemployed for three months and it needs to be three months because that guy's not going to need someone for three months and your destiny is actually in him So I'm going to make sure this guy doesn't like you very much. The guy broke up with me and, you know, my life is over. It's perspective. If you found out he was a child molester two days after he broke up with you, you'd be happy he broke up with you. But the reason why you think it's bad is because you're looking at it through your perspective and not God's perspective. That guy that you broke up with you, he might have been keeping you from the person, your prince that you're supposed to marry who is going to break up with his girlfriend in two more months, and God knows the whole thing, you're going to have children, they're going to be in the president of the United States, and, and, and mayors and governors, and you're, trying to, you're all upset because the guy broke up with you, and God's like, just shut up. I got this all worked out. I'm being just a little bit funny. But I'm like, I'm the guy that had a nervous breakdown in the, in the Bay Area, and lost his brains and moved to Weaverville. Because I I couldn't talk or drink a glass of water without holding two hands because I shook so bad. So I go to Weaverville. Why to Weaverville? Because it's the only place I can think of where the birds fly slow and where there's no people. We had went fishing there on our honeymoon. We didn't know anybody there. Oh, we knew one person there. They weren't friends of ours. So we moved to Weaverville. And then a year later, a hippie pastor comes. And his flower child wife. (laughs) To a church of 40 people. I'm talking about an old Pentecostal church, like... That kind of a church. Most of that was fixed before you got too old. I'm like, how did God get Kathy and Chris there? I don't know. Chris had a nervous breakdown, went crazy, went to Weaverville, you know, like a transient. And then connected some hippie pastor to me. And 20 years later, he's like, Do you want to start a school of ministry? I mean, like, what do I know about starting a school of ministry? I've never been past high school, and I couldn't read when I graduated from that place. So I'm like, I'm saying, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And by the way, I'm not saying God gave me a nervous breakdown, but He certainly knew what to do about it when I had one. So teach your kids how to deal with disappointment. It all works together for good in the end. If it's not good, it's not the end. Twenty more minutes. Know your kids after the Spirit. Now. If you got teenagers, you need to like write this on your mirror. <laughs> know your kids after the spirit, not after the spirit is stupid, after the spirit. My children are perfect. Great. Good for you. I pray for your discernment. Second <laughs> Corinthians five sixteen says, Therefore now from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known even though we have known Christ according to flesh. The point Paul's making is that we should know people after the Spirit. There's, um, there's kind of a sad story that turns into a good story in, in 1 Samuel 16. It's the story of Samuel the prophet looking for a new king. Do you remember any of this story? So God has removed his, uh, his, an anointing from Saul, King Saul, and he tells Samuel, listen, don't grieve. I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint a new king. And so he gets to the house of Jesse, and he tells Jesse, hey, I've come here to anoint one of your sons king. And immediately, so uh, Jesse has eight sons. He leaves the eighth one, who is David. He doesn't even invite him. Think about this. Dad doesn't invite Jesse, doesn't invite David to the inauguration. The prophet walks in, and he does what most of us do. He looked at the oldest, Elib, and it says that Elib was head and shoulders taller than everyone. He, If you will, he looked stately. He takes his horn of oil, and he's just about to pour it on Elib, the oldest. And God goes, hey, Samuel, what are you doing? I have not chose Elib to be king. And then he says this. He, he reprimands him. He said, do not look with the eyes of man, Samuel. So Samuel stands back, and he's like, and, and it says that, he says, told Jesse, I want all your sons to pass before me. So, and it goes through it. You'll, you can read it in 1 Samuel 16. Every son passes before him. And when he finishes the seventh son, he's, he says to Jesse in confusion, is this all your sons? It's kind of like, did I get the word right? And he goes, oh no, I still have one other son. He, um, yeah, he's, a, he's with the sheep. Now, do you know why he didn't invite David? Because David says in the Psalms, in sin I was brought forth. See, the rabbis believe that David had an affair, and out, I'm sorry, that Jesse had an affair, and out of that affair came David, and that's why David never got to be called in. So, and that's why he, he doesn't want the prophet to know he's got another son. David comes, they go to, they call David, David comes running in from the field and, and uh, a little surprised that he's been called in. And it says, and it describes David as ruddy, redheaded. Why does it describe him as red-headed? Because none of his family was redheaded. headed It's because of his adulterous relationship. And he's ruddy, he's, if you will, he's short and stocky. The point is, he doesn't look stately like Elib. And the prophet goes, and the God goes to the prophet. That's the guy. Anoint him king. He doesn't look like a king. His dad doesn't think he should be king. You don't think he should be king, but I say he should be king. You might have a king in your house, but you're looking at them through the eyes of man. And let's face it, if you raised your kid for 10, 12, 14 years, how many know? If you're mom and dad, you have your share of disappointments, And even though you love them, and even though you believe in them, you have your share of, yeah, probably not going to be a king. (laughs) Hey, I'm just being real, okay? And about, you know, at about 15, you're convinced that the best thing they could be is alive. But I want to tell you that it's really important that you believe in people before they deserve it. Like, this is the culture of the supernatural, that we call things that are not as though they are. Now, let me tell you what God isn't saying, and let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying make up things. I'm not saying, you know, if, you're, if your son's an idiot, say, you you a genius. <laughs> I'm saying, ask God who he is. Ask God who He is, because you know when you say what God's saying. When you say what God's saying, God creates. And if your son's a, if your son's not very smart, but God happens to say your son's a genius, don't say well, he's not really a genius. If God says he's a genius, then say he's a genius. I'm saying don't just say because you're a parent. Say him because you say it because you know him after the Spirit. If your daughter's Clumsy, but God says she's a dancer. And maybe she has braces on her legs. I feel like I'm speaking to somebody. Like, maybe she has braces on her legs, she's clumsy, and the one thing she isn't is a dancer. But you've been having dreams about her being a dancer, and people come in and say, your daughter's a dancer, and you say, have you seen my daughter wears braces? She's lucky to walk. If God says she's a dancer, then by God, she's a dancer. I'm not saying make it up. I'm not saying... You know, I wish she was a dancer. I'm saying, if God says she's a dancer, she's a dancer. What if, God, what if she, God says she's a genius and she wants to be a dancer? Well, then let her be a dancer, but keep calling out the genius in her. Right? It's a good word. John Maxwell, I've quoted this many times. He said, most people become what the most important person in their life thinks they should become. I've told so many stories. I was going to tell you some stories about my grandfather tonight because the funniest stories I have. But I'll just say this part. My grandfather believed in me, and I was a screw-up. I was... Let's <laughs> put it this way. <laughs> when my grandson, last, this last summer, he, he, had, he was riding, uh, the I think, the lawn tractor. He so, said, can, can I ride the lawn tractor? And I'm thinking, that's probably a bad plan. But then my grandfather let me drive his big tractor and the truck when I was 14. And you're 15. Okay, you probably can't screw that up too bad. So I let him drive the lawn tractor and all was good. You know, I was like, oh. And then he parks the lawn tractor right in front of the garage and pushes the garage door closer and drops the garage door on top of the tractor. And I can see it coming. And I'm running for the garage door, and I'm yelling, "Push the button again! Push the button again!" He's like, "What?" I'm like, "Push the button again! What?" <laughs> it goes bang, and the door flies off, and he's standing there. <laughs> so that would happen when you park the tractor underneath the door and push the button. And I'm looking, I'm like, I got from maybe from here to Eric before the door blew off. And Kathy just comes out of the house while I'm yelling. She can hear me yelling, push the button again, push the button again. It's a 14-foot door, so there's quite a bit of time. I'm running, push the button again, push the button again. What? Push the button again, the button, to push the button again. What? Push the button again. Bang. Did you say push the button again? And from the house door, ask her if this is true, she goes, remember your grandfather. From the door of the house, remember your grandfather. Push the button again. Right now? No, it won't be necessary. There's no door in the hole any longer. I didn't hear you, I know. I'm so sorry. It's not a big deal. It's all good. There's a lot of other garage doors, Just not very expensive. Seven, eight thousand dollars, it'll all be fixed. Less expensive than your last visit, actually. That last two minutes wasn't true, but everything else was exactly true, right? Were you not yelling at me from the door? Remember your grandfather. You know, the one thing your kids can't believe about themselves is that they're bad. No matter how many times they mess up, they cannot, listen to what I'm saying. This is, I didn't snot on my nose. I just feel this so strongly right now. Joking aside, your kids cannot ever believe I am a bad person. If they ever get it in their mind that they're a bad person, you're going to spend your life trying to get bad out of them. And when their teacher says they're bad, or their friend says they're bad, or their whatever says they're bad, somebody that they value says they're bad, and they come home and they go, I'm a bad person. Ha ha. No, 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 no. You did something bad. That doesn't mean you were a bad person. Good people do things bad all the time. Here, sit down. Let me show you King David here. See, it says, man after God's heart. Look at this. He killed people. You could kill people and still be good, son. Ask your mother. <laughs> you could become a drug addict, and your mother, she'll tell you, like, you're just, you're practicing to be a pharmacist. You are our children. We don't have bad children. We are only good people. On a, on a serious note, it's like, your kids cannot believe they are bad. And so, when we are dealing with our kids, again, the point I'm trying to make is we have to call them to their destiny. Discipline has to even say, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. Everything about what we're doing has to feel like, listen, I'm, listen, you're better than that, boy. That thing you did right there, not that thing my grandson did, which is a mistake. I'm talking about when they do something delivered, it's like, you're better than that. That's not who you are. You're a Veloton, you're a Johnson, you're. You know, whatever, you're, you're like, no, no, we are a noble family. You are a part of our family. You are behaving below your destiny. I'm not saying you say those words. I'm saying it's got to feel like you're calling them out of the pig farm because they don't belong there, right? So know your kids after the Spirit. Uh, my my uh, youngest daughter, she was, um, I don't want to say she was wild, but she was wild, wild. She went through a season where she lied constantly, and we had real discipline problems with her, and then she kind of came out of that, and then she started dressing really strange and had purple hair and wear different kinds of shoes and different kinds of socks. And it was not even the, it wasn't a style. she was like, "I don't know, she's trying to make up her own style." And it just you know, it was just like, uh, she was just, I don't know. She was just, you know do you ever have times with your kids where you're just concerned? I mean, it's not just what they're doing. you're just concerned. Like something doesn't feel right. And I remember this, I, I remember it got, it got it, I don't know if Kathy felt it, but I, I really feel deeply. Kathy, she's like a rock. <laughs> this is joking. <laughs> no, I remember us talking about the season. And I, and I remember getting up one night, I couldn't sleep, and just going in the front and just praying for Shannon. Just laying on the floor. Like, Lord, I am so concerned. Not for the outward things. I don't care if she has purple hair. And You know, I, I, I called Bill one day and I said, you know, Shannon's got purple hair. And he says, ah, need too many people in their 60s that have purple hair. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of Bill's, you know, it'll go away. Bill's, Bill's always super positive. It'll go away. It, it's all good, you know. It's not permanent. Okay. Um. But I remember just laying on the floor and saying, Lord, I want to see her the way you see her. And I probably was on the floor for four or five hours, mostly weeping. And then the Lord gave me a picture. I'll call it a vision, but I want you to know it wasn't like I saw it with my eyes. A vision in my mind. And I saw my daughter with purple hair and uh, you know, crazy-looking clothes, and she was reaching out to the prostitutes, and she was talking to people about Jesus, and she was going into the nation's And the Lord said, that's her destiny. Leave her alone. I have this. Oh. I mean, all the parents in the room know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, oh. Okay. This is going to work out. And for the next, you know, nothing changed for over a year. But I had that. I would just keep reimagining, bringing that picture back up and like reminding myself, it's going to be okay. Okay. You said it's going to be okay. You showed me where we're going. It's going to be okay. And you know, and to this day, of course, uh, Shannon now is principal and superintendent of her school, and she's also co-pastors with her husband. I'm very proud of her. But, um, but there, was that, there was a season where if I look at her with my eyes, I'm going to relate to her a completely different way than God had for her. And the Bible says if you train up a child in the way they should go, not the way you think they should go, not even the way they think they should go, the way he thinks they should go, if you train up a child in the way they should go, then when they're old, they won't depart from it. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I have just uh, about five more minutes. I, I just want to tell you this last thing. Um, Acts chapter 11, verse 11. I'm just going to read it to you real quick and make a comment on it. Five minutes, I'll be done. Uh, uh, it's, it's a story about Peter being released from prison. You'll remember an angel released Peter from prison? Do you remember the story? His shackles fall off. The uh, prison door opens. He gets out of the, the angel, leads him out of the prison. He thinks he's having a dream, right? It says that he thought he was having a dream until he, when he gets out of the prison, when he actually physically is out of the prison, it says that he re, then he realized that he wasn't dreaming. He goes to a house. This is a very interesting house. i twenty years ago, when I was in Weaverville, I actually did a study on this house. I wish I had kept the notes, but he went to a house, the house of John Mark. He knocks on the door and they are praying, the Bible says in in Acts 11, that they were praying, they had gathered at John Mark's house. It's actually John Mark's mother's house. They were actually gathered to pray specifically for Peter's release because they had just killed James three months before. James, the brother of Jesus. No, I'm sorry, James, uh, uh, John's brother. They had killed James. They were praying that Peter would be released. Peter gets released. He goes right to John Mark's parents' house, knocks on the door. Rhoda, the servant, answers the door. She sees it's Peter. She's so excited because that's what they're praying for. She runs back into the prayer meeting and she starts yelling, Peter's at the front door. Peter's at the front door. And they listen to this. And they say, That's not Peter, it's his angel. Now, follow me. If you can just this is a crazy story, right? What are they praying for? Peter be released. Who's at the door? Peter. They have more faith than an angel that looks like Peter (laughs) is knocking at the door than that God answered their prayer and let Peter out of prison. Now, that tells me a lot about what I call it, Houses of Acts. That tells me that the angel occurrences must have been relatively frequent. As a matter of fact, you know, the earlier part of the story is that a physical angel actually went into the prison. His shackles fell off when the angel walked in, which is very interesting to me. I don't understand it, but I love the story. It says the door opened by itself. This is before automated openers. This is pretty cool. Peter walks out of prison with the angel leading him. Come on, Pete. <laughs> now, follow me. There's, there's a number. I, I'm just trying to show you something. Peter has had so many trances and visions that he literally thinks that he's having another vision, which tells you how many visions he has. And how real they are. You remember that he had a trance in which he was told to go to Cornelius' house. I'm saying, these guys are having so many spiritual experience that he's having an actual experience and he actually thinks that he's having a vision. An open vision. And when he gets out of the prison and the door uh, closes behind him, he realizes, oh, this isn't a trance or a vision. I actually experienced this. Huh. Now he goes to Mark... John Mark's house and they're having a prayer meeting and they think that it's the angel at the door. What does that tell you? It tells you that there were so many angel encounters that was actually easier to believe that an angel was knocking at the door, which means they must have had other angels knock at the door. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm saying if they, it says they all thought, if they all thought that angels were knocking at the door, I'm like, you've had a lot of angel experiences. Because the last thing I want say is like, oh, that's not Eric, it's his angel. And it also tells me that they thought that an angel was assigned to Peter. And the truth is, there was one assigned to Peter. Are you with me? So I'm saying they understood that there was angels on specific personal assignments So when the angel came to the door, they thought, well, that's the angel assigned to Peter, and he's probably here because we're praying for Peter. I'm I'm just simply saying their understanding of the spirit world was so realistic. And out of that house, out of John Mark's mother's house, came John Mark. You know who John Mark is? He wrote the book of Mark. And here's my point. How about if our children were raised in a spiritual vortex? Where angels ascended and descended and prayer meetings happened at our house and our kids were involved and they saw supernatural stuff and they saw prisoners released and demons cast out and prophecies and healings in our house, not at church, in our house. And I mean, mean, our house was a house of acts. Places where miracles are so common and angels come so often because we make room for them, and our children are sleeping in the vortex of the presence of the kingdom. And angels are coming and going. People are coming to get healed and delivered and saved. And some people, in this case, obviously not in your house, but some people are actually you know, writing books of the Bible in my house. And in our case, they're writing a revelation that's so profound. Where did it happen? It happened at the house of Acts, which is your house. Here's a miracle. What if, your, what if the spirit world was so exciting that your kids put away their video game to participate? They're like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not right now. We have a prayer meeting at, at seven, and, and I, I just need to be in that. I'm, I can't, Yeah, you can come over after, but I like being there. When my kids were young, we invited a girl, and I can't tell you the whole story. It's a very awesome story. She was in the rubber room, at the hospital, and Tracy Evans led her to the Lord. They called her the Dragon Lady. She was in the Hells Angels. She was part of the Hells Angels. Then she was in Anton LaVey's church, and she was Anton LaVey's adopted daughter. Anton LaVey's, you know, Satanist church. She was about six foot one. She, she had long hair, long brown hair, and a, and a blonde streak through it. And she would go into our, to our local bar and beat up the guys in there. She would get drunk, and she would actually eat shot glasses. They called her the Amazon woman. So she had beat up a bunch of guys and then she was slithering on the uh, gas station pump island like a snake and barking like a dog when Tracy found her. Tracy leads her to the Lord and says, Hey, I have a friend. I'd like her to move into your house. <laughs> long story short. This is a very long story. She moves into our house. The Amazon woman from the Satanist church. The very first... Uh, we have a... a a home group at my house, and youth group, we have a home group at my house and youth group at my house every week. Uh, a, a black man who was a prophet, um, a really great guy, he comes to my house for the first time, he's going to come to our home group. He walks up the stairs, he greets me, he said, I don't know what's going on here, but the a- angels are all around your house and they have shields up. I go, oh yeah, we got Arlene. Makes sense. And remember, remember the first home group we were worshiping the Lord and Arlene loved children and she was, she was kind of playing with one of our kids. Our kids were really little and one of our kids had given her a Barbie doll. So she was worshiping and pretty soon something happened to her and she grabs the head of the Barbie doll rips it off and throws the Barbie doll while we're worshiping at the wall. And Shannon's all, my doll, she pulled the head off my doll. Oh. We did that for Six, seven months. Six, months? Six months. She'd wake up in the middle of the night and say, they're after me, they're after me. And I'd put my pants on and run in the front room because she slept on the couch and I go, what's after me? She's like, demons. They're out. And then she'd start describing them. I'm like, no, 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 don't tell me, I'm good. I'm good, I don't. Got my own visuals to worry about, I don't need yours. Pictures would fall off the wall, lights would go on and off. People would call us on the phone while she was with us six months. They'd be in the background. There'd be seances going on in the background. They're like, we're going to kill you. We're going to molest her, your kids. And would be like, oh, okay. Um, you know, that just went on and on. Our kids got to see it. We saw healings. While she was in our house, the greatest miracles in those days, greatest miracles we'd ever seen were in our house. Our daughter cut her finger. Arlene had her, it was bleeding. Arlene had this thing about blood. She's like, cut her finger on a can. It was bleeding. Kathy said, oh, don't worry. I'll get a Band-Aid. God will heal it because was, Arlene was freaking out. And while she, wa- while she had it under the water, the cut closed. The cut closed. And Arlene's like, and she, she's like, she saw it close and she's pulling her finger. It's like, and Kathy goes, of course, Jesus is healing. And she's like, oh, Jesus is healing. We cast demons out of her while our children watched. It's great. You know, when our kids were, when they, yeah, when they were teenagers, they knew there was a devil. They were hoping there was a God. We probably did 150 deliverances in our home with our children supposed to be sleeping, but sitting on the loft watching demons coming out of people and people bending where there's no bones and heads turning around backwards and and our kids watch that you know what so they knew there was a real spirit world when they get to the when they got to the high school and the teachers and atheists and saying there is no god they're like wow well, I don't know who's doing that stuff with the and what I'm getting at is that our kids were convinced of the spirit world not because we told them about it but because they grew up in it How about your house? How about if your house is the house of John Mark? That your house becomes a place, a vortex where angels just hang out. And you get up tomorrow and say, God was here and I didn't even know it. What would happen if you went home tonight and you dedicated your property to the king and his kingdom? And you said, my kids are going to grow up. Maybe your kids are gone. And you're like, my grandkids are going to grow up in a vortex of spirituality that's real. That's my challenge to you. Would you stand? How many of you would like to have a house like that? Okay, leave your hands up. We vote yes, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us instructions on how to build a house for the Lord. And how to build a family that is so sensitive to the Spirit, that literally that we are directed by the wind of the Spirit. And we pray for our children to be great in God. Whether the world ever thinks they're great, we don't care. But that they would be great in God. Whether they're, whether they're in a place of less like Joseph or whether they're wealthy or powerful or known or famous. Lord, what we really want is that they would be known in heaven and feared in hell. That's what we want. And we pray for them, God. If they've left our house, we say, no, 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 you're still part of our family. And the Bible says one believing parent, listen to this, this is a promise to some of you, this is a promise for everybody. It's a promise some of you need. One believing parent, listen to this, sanctifies the entire family. That doesn't say when they're in your house. It says it sanctifies. You know the word sanctify? I looked it up. It's in the, it's in, uh, it's in the first Corinthians. Uh, it's, I think it's chapter 11. I, the word sanctify is, um, is also the word covered. So, Lord, we just cover our children, whether they're in our home, they're not in our home. Maybe they're adults. Maybe they're a long way from home. Lord, we say, let my relationship with you infect and affect them, their children, and their children's children to the hundredth generation in Jesus' name. And everybody said, so be it.
1: Wow, that was amazing. How many of you guys are thankful for Chris and Kathy for. So much. That was amazing. So good. So good. How many of you guys? You have kids in the home right now? Look at that. That's amazing. Yeah, we just declare supernatural homes. Just normal. Lord, give us wisdom to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good. Well, we're gonna have a fire tunnel tonight. And so, if our ministry team could make their way forward and uh, get ready. We're going to have a fire tunnel. It's going to be good. How many guys here tonight, you need a miracle in your body? You need prayer for something. We're going to have a healing team right over here through these double doors in the East-West Fellowship Room. So if you need a miracle, get in this line on your right, my left, and you're going to come through, go out that door, and then there's going to be a team over there that will be praying for you. We need to get a team set up, so just give us a minute to do that. We'll have a team ready for you to go there. So, miniature team make your team, make your way forward. Also, as you're going through the fire tunnel line, make sure you take your stuff with you. Not everybody who comes here has the same core values as we do, so carry your stuff. That'd be great. So good, so good. Hey, just as you're getting ready, I just had a sense that maybe you're here tonight and there's somebody that you walked in this place and you don't know the Lord yet. When Chris was talking about that earlier, you haven't surrendered your heart to Christ yet. I want to encourage you to take a bold step and tell the person next to you, Hey, that's that's me. Can you help me give my life to the Lord? And just do that right now. Just do that right now. So, what we're gonna do, we're gonna do two, two, two lines right here, two single file lines. So, come in the center here, two lines. Come on forward, guys. So good. When the music starts, you guys can go ahead and go through. So we just pray, Holy Spirit, let your fire fall here tonight. Let fire fall, let your presence just permeate every part of our hearts and lives. Let your glory come. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. Go ahead, go ahead. He's yes. blessing, blessing, Yeah, yeah. Oh. So
2: Thank you for joining us on our website ibethel.org you can find our pastors itineraries who may be visiting a place near you bill johnson will be in urbana illinois november 9th through the 12th and danny silk will be in zurich switzerland november 11th through the 13th now we want to hear from you if you have any prayer requests you can email them to pastor our team would love to pray for you and be sure to send us your testimonies as well We've recently heard a testimony from Chuck Perry, who was ministering in the Philippines. He was praying for a little boy who had been crippled all his life, and Chuck felt he was not supposed to leave him until he was healed. 20 minutes into praying, the boy began to move his arms and legs, as everyone who knew him was in shock. The little boy started to run for the first time in his life. After that, everyone at the meeting received their healing, and 150 kids got saved. We pray that no matter how long you have been sick or hurting, that you would receive your full healing because Jesus has paid the price for you to be well. We release the Father's blessing over you and declare that in Christ, you are a new creation. Thank you for watching Bethel TV and joining us and our Bethel family around the world. We hope to see you again soon.